Hello and welcome to the gardening show on Radio Caram. I'm your host Henry. My regular co-host Brendan is off sick today, so we'll be kicking off the year solo. So thanks for joining me if you're listening. Um, but yeah, welcome. Uh, join us every fortnight as we chat about everything green and delicious in the world of gardening and local food production. Uh, we're a couple of local dads who have a real love for digging in the dirt, sustainable living, growing our own food and just giving it a go. We're also two of the hands behind the scenes at Downs Community Farm, a not-for-profit community garden and gathering space right next to the Seaford wetlands on Old Wells Road. In short, this show is about spreading the word on the joys of home gardening in our local area. Expect some general gardening banter, maybe not so much today, <laughs> hot tips for a bumper crop, horticultural deep dives, and a few tunes to get those green thumbs tapping. But I'd love to start the show, as always, with an acknowledgement of country. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're broadcasting today, the Bunurong and Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, and I want to pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging and recognize the uh, amazing skills and knowledge uh, that has enabled them to care for the land for tens of thousands of years. Um, so, yes, um, big acknowledgement. Thank you very much. And let's kick on with the show. So, what did we talk about last year? So much. <laughs> we talked about. Uh, we went through all of permaculture in terms of the permaculture principles and the three ethics, and we'll certainly be touching on some of those things uh, throughout the yeah throughout this year's worth of worth of shows, of course. Um, and yeah, we went through a few articles. We did quite a few deep dives on different types of plants and techniques and sort of niches in the gardening world, and that will certainly continue this year. And what about today, though? <laughs> so we'll have a bit of a, a shorter show today because it's just me. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about a few things that are going on in the local area um, and what I've been up to in my patch. Uh, I'll talk a bit about growing greens. So, you know, really the introduction to, to food growing for many people. Um, but it can be quite easy uh to, to stuff it up. It's also very easy to do, but you know you need to have a few tips and tricks to, to get the most out of your, your lettuces, your spinach, kale, chard, um, and those sorts of things. And then uh, I'll, I'll talk a bit about something close to my heart as a rampant collector of tools. Uh, we'll talk about gardening tools in, uh, or I'll talk about gardening tools uh, in general, sort of what you need, what you don't need when you're starting out. And most importantly, how to make good choices and ensure that they last a lifetime, ideally, or a very long time at least. As always, of course, do not forget to send any gardening questions through to me on our number here, 0493 213 831. Again, that's 0493 213 831. Keep me company if you like, or just listen along. It's all good. Um, I've had a long day at work, so it's nice to sit somewhere quiet <laughs> and uh, yeah, ramble on about something that's that I'm passionate about. So thank you so much for joining today, and we'll kick off the show with a song. 
This one is very appropriate. It's called Summertime uh, and it's by the amazing Billy Stewart. Hi, everybody. This is Wit from Spiderbait. When I'm passing through Karam, aside from slowing down to 50 kilometres an hour and reminisces about doing the Eel Race Road Rumba or the Watley Street Wiggle, I like to tune in to Radio Karam and get down with the good vibes. Welcome back. I'm Henry here on The Gardening Show on Radio Karam. Uh, that, again, was Billy Stewart with Summertime. Some people may have heard that remixed recently. It's pretty, it was pretty popular on the socials, I think. So that's the original, in case you weren't aware. And what a banger. So let's talk a bit about what's been going on in the garden. So it's summertime, of course. This is typically <laughs> the time of the year where we're getting uh, a lot of our fruit, um, some of our favorite sort of vegetables um, or fruits that are kind of vegetables, you know, tomatoes, peppers and things like that. Um, but it is also a time when things can get a bit out of control uh, and in particular weeds and grass. Um, if grass is a, is a weed where you are, certainly it is for us at the farm, at Towns Community Farm. So certainly as, as we've gotten back into the swing of things there, uh, there's been a lot of work done uh, and I will shout out uh, my co-host Brendan, who does a lot of that work, as well as one of our regulars, Rodney, uh, in helping to keep that down. Uh, in particular, when we have those huge rainstorms come through, almost immediately followed by a 30-degree day, you essentially can end up with grass that grows you know, close to a foot in, in less than a week. So it's one of those things to keep on top of. Um, and this is obviously a shout out to any people that are maybe interested in volunteering at the farm. There's so many ways you can do it. Um, maybe you want to be more on the events side, the community gathering side. Um, maybe you just want to help out in the patch. Uh, but if you're one of those people that likes to get out a whippersnipper and chop things down, plenty of work for you at the farm as well. So don't be shy. Get in touch through our website, downscommunityfarm.org. Um, or you can send me a text, 0493-213-831. I started there. I thought I was perhaps giving you my personal number. Not a great idea on the radio. <laughs> but anyway, so that's what's going on at Downs. Uh, lots of things to harvest at the moment, in particular lots of greens. So that's, um, of course, what I'll be talking about shortly. Speaking of the farm, one thing I definitely want to highlight in this show and put out there is uh, a really amazing event we have coming up this Saturday. So that's the 20th of January um, to celebrate our new eco mural. So how do I, how do I describe this? It's a mural and it's ecological in nature. <laughs> so uh, an amazing uh, street artist, Jimmy De Deviate, uh, who you may have seen his work around the place. If you have seen, um, sort of really hyper-realistic uh, or very realistic uh, native animals, in particular native birds, um, you know, plastered on the side of large walls or sheds, silos, whatever it is, good chance it might be some of his work. Um, I've seen it, I've seen them in Frankston, I, I've, I've seen them as far away as uh, Kyneton, where I went uh, over Christmas. So uh, really 
well-known and uh, well-loved artist uh, is actually doing or has almost nearly completed a large mural on the side of our garden, uh, our garden shed, our farm shed. It's a very large wall facing the bike path that goes around the Seaford wetlands. Uh, so essentially it's four of the local bird species from the Seaford wetlands um, with a beautiful background as well. Um, and yeah, a, a little bit about this uh, for those that are interested. So this eco mural, it's uh, essentially it's been a collaboration between uh, Downs Community Farm, of course, uh, Feswe, which is the Friends of the Edith Vale Seaford Wetlands, and uh, our friends at the Frankston City Council as well, and, and the artist, of course, Jimmy Deviate. Um, and there's been a lot of planning um, to make this happen over the past sort of 18 months. So a new amazing piece of street art, um, or even I'll just say art, um, I think this could this could be in any museum, um, has, has, yeah, joined the scene in Seaford. And I'm sure for those that might be cycling around, you'll definitely notice it. And uh, yeah, if there's anyone at the farm, pop in, say hi, and uh, we'd love to we'd love to get to know more people in our local community. So the event it is, as I said, this Saturday the twentieth, uh, between two and three p.m. Um, so it's sort of following on from our uh, you know, normal working bee that we have on Saturdays from ten till one. So feel free, of course, to come along. Um, from 10 onwards, if you like. Uh, but in terms of this uh, this event, we'll, uh, there'll be guest speakers, there'll be a Q&A with the artist himself. Uh, and of course, it's a free event and it is family friendly. So do uh, come along, have a look at this amazing artwork that's sprung up over the past two weeks. And uh, yeah, get to meet a, an artist doing some amazing work um, all over the place and uh, hopefully ask a question or two. So that's a bit about that. Now, what else is coming up? So we have another few events, I guess, that are happening. So Open Gardens Victoria. Um, so obviously they, they do many great sort of open home type things. Um, you know, I can think of one that I went to probably a few years ago now in in Frankston, actually. Um, for the life of me, I cannot remember the name of the person. It will come to me. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, uh, they are organising three open days at local farms on Sunday, the 4th of Feb. So um, a chance to go go to one, two or three at the Haven Buttonshaw Farm and the Aussie Veggie Path. So for more details on that, um, just Google Open Gardens Victoria and all the information for that will be online. And finally, um, a little... A little shout out to another community radio station, uh, one of one of the one of the old guard, I suppose, of community radio uh, here in Melbourne. Three CR, um, based out of Fitzroy, um, has an amazing show called Local Food Connections, um, sort of hosted by Anne. And uh, every Sunday um, has an interesting guest come on for a, a half an hour chat about um, more just local food systems or food systems. Um, and how they can contribute to, um, you know, dealing with some of the issues uh, in the world at the moment, like food security, uh, community resilience, um, talking as well a bit about permaculture. You know, um, David Holmgren, the, the co-originator of permaculture, one of the people that wrote the book, so to speak, and literally. Um, 
was on the show about a month ago. So uh, lots of great episodes, all available online at 3CR's website. I think it's 3cr.org or .au. I don't know. Search 3CR. You'll see it there. And uh, I guess why I'm bringing it up is uh, I was on that show um, last Sunday or the Sunday before. I can't remember. It's been a weird start to the year. (laughs) But uh, talked a bit about the farm, Downs Community Farm. And... uh, you know, had a little bit of a ramble about uh, lawns and uh, the wealthy elite uh, wasting space that could be used for food growing. I won't, <laughs> I won't give away too much, but do feel free to go there and have a listen. It's a great show and is a wonderful host. And I will be on that show again uh, on the 11th of February talking um, about some of the other things that I do in my day-to-day life to do with gardening and horticulture. So that's that. A couple of events. Hopefully there's something there that takes your fancy uh, or something that you can uh, listen to in the car on the way to work uh, or on the train or the tram or whatever. Um, But yes, thank you so much for joining me today. I will kick it off. I'll go to another song, I think, just to give myself a bit of a break to drink water. (laughs) It's a bit hard when I'm the only one speaking. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about growing greens, Um, how to get your greens how to do it easy, uh, and how to not make mistakes. Uh, So yeah, I'll see you then. This next song, an absolute classic, of course. This is by Goanna, and it's Solid Rock. Oi, 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 oi. IGA is shopping nights. IGA, where the price is right. Seaford North IGA, for your groceries and liquor. IGA Express, there's nothing quicker. And welcome back to The Gardening Show on Radio Karam. I'm your host, Henry, rocking it solo today while my regular co-host, Brendan, gets better. He's a bit unwell. Thanks for joining us, if you're joining us now. Um, and once again, that was Solid Rock by Goanna. So, I'm going to talk about growing greens. But before I do, we had a text come into the line here. Um, uh, it doesn't have a name, so thank you, Anon. Um, but it says, love your show. Uh, my question focuses on our nature strip. I already love where this is going. Um, I'm frustrated with the endless line of trees cut up and mangled along our streets. I understand the reason why power lines need room to do their thing. But why do councils, I mean Kingston City Council, persist with gum trees on nature strips? Can you please suggest a better option that would suit the Karam Karam region? Thanks again. Great question. Thank you for for asking that. Um, Yeah, it's a bit of a, this is a bit of a weird one. So, I mean, we all want, I guess trees on our streets um, is is the first point I will make. Um, you know, I think when you go to a new housing development, uh, until the trees that they've planted have really grown up, uh, it can be, A, quite a hot place um, because there's no shade on the road, um, but it can also look a bit sparse. And uh, for me personally, aesthetically, it's, it's not a look that I, I particularly like. Um, but, of course, when we have power lines, uh, it does mean that there is a safety requirement. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what it is. I think it's two metres or something away from a power line. There can't be any sort of uh, you know, tree material. So you often end up with these trees that have a giant bite taken out of the side of them. Uh, and look, yeah, really use the word very well, mangled up. Um, was that the word you used? Mangled, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um 
yeah, there's a lot of options that could be chosen. Number one, smaller trees and shrubs. The, the issue with that, of course, is an issue of visibility, particularly when you are near a corner or an intersection. Um, having a taller tree with a thinner trunk and not a lot of growth underneath means you can see what's coming the other way. Um, but where do we go? What's the middle ground here? You know, um, I'm certainly happy at the very least, I guess the silver lining in your case here is is that it is it is eucalyptus, um, as opposed to what we see in many parts of uh, of Australia, really. But certainly in Melbourne, we see a lot of um, you know a lot of plane trees. And if you've got allergies, you know how bad those are. Um, ornamental pears, which for the life of me, I don't know why anyone would would plant an ornamental pear unless they were going to graft a bunch of real pears and apples to it. So. You want to go with a native option. Uh, eucalyptus, of course, uh, is is usually the right choice. But the middle ground. So uh, there's not a lot you can do here, really. You know, councils are going to plant the trees that they plant. Trees are important. My my long term solution, my big thinking solution, is that we shouldn't have power lines above the ground. <laughs> I mean, for so many reasons. Uh, you know, we are prone to storms in Victoria. And we all know what it's like when a power line goes down. Um, often we're left without power for hours, if not days. Sinking them underground, of course, would be incredibly expensive, but it would be safer and it would enable us to let those trees, you know, grow to their full potential and not look like they've come back from a bad haircut. But if you do want to beautify your nature strip, there's stuff you can do. So many councils... Um, I, I can speak as to the Frankston City Council where I live. I can't speak as to the Kingston City Council, but do have a look on their website. Many do offer um, or do allow you to apply for a permit. Uh, it, it may even be free. It might be a very small cost to uh, to plant out your verge strip in natives, um, following a few rules, of course, with regards to visibility. And, of course, it will have to be native species in, I'm, I'm assuming, in all cases. Um, and in some cases, it'll actually be a specific list of native species that are sort of endemic to the area. Um, great option. Uh, the person who I was speaking about before the break, who I could not remember her name, uh, who did the open house in Frankston is Jack Semler. Uh, so sorry, Jack, if you're, if you're listening. <laughs> I don't know why you would be, but uh, Jack Semler, of course, um, who has the amazing book Super Bloom, which is like, the Bible of flowers, um, and it's large too, so um, maybe check that out as well. Has She has an amazing nature strip. Uh, it's gorgeous, full of native grasses, flowers, ground covers. It, it's that nice balance of it looks wild and natural, but it looks neat uh, and cared for. It's wonderful. If, if Jack's house comes up again in open homes or open, open gardens, Victoria... Uh, please do check it out. But that's what I would say to you, listener. Um, you know, options that would suit. I mean, really, I think you can't go past something if we're talking about planning out a verge strip, um, something like a poa, so sort of tussock grass is always a nice option. Um, in terms of ground covers, you have a plethora that you can choose from. My personal favourite is sort of um, grevilleas, sort of prostrate grevilleas, many different kinds. Um you know, sort of low low-lying banksias. Um, you've got um, leucophyta, which is like that silvery 
pin cushiony flower looking thing you might have seen around. Um, there's different species of headgear as well. Lots of options. I would just I could just name off every native I know that's under under a meter. But yeah, if you want to sort of improve your verge, that's one way to do it. Uh, in terms of councils and what can we do about power lines and what's a better option, it's really just sinking the power lines. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's all I can think of. Um, you know, we don't want to obviously cut down trees either, especially ones that are well-established. Um, so hope that sort of answers your question. Uh, listener, thank you so much. Um, but yeah, I, I'd certainly think that verge strips could uh, all over Australia could do with um, a little bit more of um, a little bit more native planting, a little bit less of uh, of the grass. Um, I personally hate mowing the grass on my verge strip. I'm sure you do too. So uh, something to consider. Look at your local council website and see if it's possible in your area. Thanks so much. So going into the first topic of the day, so growing greens. Now, I guess the first question you might ask is, why on earth would I grow lettuce? It's so cheap. Um, maybe not so much anymore. But is there an actual practical benefit to growing lettuce, um, both in terms of nutrition, in terms of flavor, and in terms of um, the health and diversity of your garden? And the answer to all three of those is yes, absolutely. Um, something you might not know. So when you purchase greens from the shops, let's say you go buy a nice big head of lettuce, its nutritional content is almost negligible compared to what you pull out of the garden and eat almost immediately or immediately. Um, they do not retain their nutrition um, as anywhere as much as you know fruit or you know um, you know different vegetables do. And this is the same for spinach as well, uh, and many of the commonly available greens. So. It's healthy. That's the best thing I'm going to say. Um, another option, of, uh, another reason why it's important to grow them is because of the cost of living. You know, um, the, obviously the price of lettuce isn't astronomical like it was uh, during during COVID, where I think at one point it peaked at eighteen dollars for a head of lettuce or something like that, and the fast food places were using cabbage. I think it was cabbage in their burgers um, as a sort of way to retain their, their profits. Well, ridiculous. Um, so it's a safeguard because lettuce, is it, it grows so quickly. It's very abundant. Um, if you let it seed, it will just pop up all over your garden. It's one of those things where with a little bit of work initially, you will never have to bring home lettuce from the supermarket. Um, also, if you, if you succession plant, and we'll talk a bit about that too. And finally, diversity. So lettuce is a great way to fill gaps in your garden. Um, I'm a big proponent of not, really not exposing any soil in the garden. Anywhere there's a gap, something will go in there um, and that helps to shade the soil. It helps to ensure that the you know, microorganisms in the soil um, are, are fed and uh, helps to, you know, just... Yeah, make a garden look beautiful and lush. So anytime I see a gap, I chuck a lettuce seedling in. And, you know, in not a lot of time, you know, we're talking, you know, maybe not a couple of weeks, but certainly, um, you know, a month to 50 days, um, you'll have a, a full-size lettuce. 
and many, of course, you can pick as you go uh, and come and cut and come again, so to speak, and have that lettuce uh, producing for you for, for, for weeks. So, you know, so many benefits as to why you might grow um, not just lettuce, of course, but, but greens. And uh, the other thing that I really like is the ability, and this is true for most all home food growing and gardening, is, is the ability to try different varieties of, of greens that are not available in the shops or very rarely available or are prohibitively expensive. So, you know, if you want to, if, if you're a, if you're mad for radicchio, um, cool. All right. Well, you can grow it and it's a lot cheaper than having to buy those, you know, quite overpriced small heads of essentially, essentially, uh, lettuce. So there's a few, there's a few reasons why. Now some tips for growing greens. Uh, the great thing about where we live here in, uh, you know, sort of coastal Southern coast of Victoria, let's say roughly, um, is that we, we have a climate that is suited to, to growing lettuce uh, and greens year round. So I, I say this because obviously in places where it, it snows and freezes over, it's not really something you can do unless you have a greenhouse. Um, and if it's uh, a place where it gets really hot, um, so we're talking in the 40s for you know uh, an extended period of time, again, very difficult to grow um, these sorts of plants. And the reason for that is they thrive in what we call temperate or cool weather conditions. So we're talking about 10 to 25 degrees um, Celsius. So that's, I'd say most Melbourne weather is somewhere in there. What you'll see on the packet typically and for much of the year is, is good practice is, is full sun. Um, but again, full sun doesn't mean blasted by sunshine all day long. Uh, full sun means, you know, I'd say six to eight hours of sunshine a day. Um, and in summer, especially when it's getting quite hot, you might actually want to take that all the way down to, you know, even zero. You want to maybe plant them under a tree and, and shade them out um, because greens are notorious for bolting. And bolting is when they sort of go into their reproductive cycle shoot up a large flower stem um, and the greens themselves become very bitter, still edible, but not enjoyable. So good to try and keep them at that 10 to 25 degrees and moist. Always, I will say, keep them moist. Not soggy, not uh, not really wet soil. Definitely don't let them dry out too much um, because they will suffer. Um, they'll wilt, of course. All plants do that to an extent. But... Uh, they can't really hold up to wilting like some other plants can for an extended period of time. And important as well as spacing. So given their quite, um, you know, compact nature, um, lots of leaves really close together, um, airflow can be a bit of an issue and pests can be a bit of an issue. So just giving them a little bit of space to grow and spread out. I mean, we're not talking a lot. 10, not 10, but I'd say 15, 15 to 20 centimeters, depending on, on the variety um, that you're growing, of course, and, and the sort of uh, the size it will get to, but make sure they've got a bit of airflow around them. I mentioned before uh, bolting. So bolting is, of course, when they shoot up their flower stalk. If you see that one of your greens is bolting, I would say pull it out immediately and just eat it. 
eat it. Uh, we'll give it a go and see. And if it's if it's still palatable, eat it then. Uh, because once it starts bolting, it's only going to get worse and worse in flavor over time. The other side to that is perhaps you do want to let uh, your lettuce or whatever it is drop seed all over your garden and create a sort of choose your own weeds in your garden uh, type thing in your garden. That's what I do. I always let a couple of lettuce just go to seed and then that way uh, the following year, anytime I need a lettuce, I just walk out, walk around, look in the corner, look look in the bricks, um, look at the, the base of a garden bed and often you'll find a little lettuce popping out that you can just nip off and, and take take inside. So it's a bit about that. What else? So um, I'll only go for a few more points. Um, succession planting. So succession planting is when you stage out your planting so that you always have a supply. Um, this is really important for greens where, you know, if you don't do it right, and I've certainly made this mistake, you can either end up with 20 lettuces at once that you need to eat because they're close to bolting or have started to, or you end up with no lettuces and then you have to start buying them again. So with succession planting, uh, with greens in particular, if you eat them a lot, and you should, of course, I would say pretty much, I mean, as almost every two weeks, um, to, be, to be fair, depends on the amount of space that you have, but somewhere every two to four weeks is to chuck in another bunch of seedlings. And then that way, um, as they mature, you know, after about a month, you cut the big ones down and replace them with some new seedlings and you sort of go through the cycle and have essentially an endless supply. Uh, so that's always a good tip. And of course, another good little thing about greens is uh, you can get microgreens out of them because microgreens, the incredibly expensive um, toppings for, for salads and fancy foods are just baby greens um, harvested when they're very young. So if you're keen on microgreens, we'll probably do a, I think, a spotlight on how to grow them um, specifically in another show. But get a tray, fill it with soil, really heavily sprinkle that tray with, with your chosen seed. Let's say it's kale or something like that. Uh, finally dust the top with, uh, with some more soil, keep them moist and harvest when they're about, oh, you know, three to five to six centimeters tall. Um, just cut them with scissors. That's your microgreens. No need to spend a lot of money on those. So that's it. Um, I'll, I'll leave it there and we'll go into a few specific types of greens, I guess some cultivation tips and a little bit about each one. So starting with, of course, lettuce. So lettuce is known botanically as Lactuca sativa. Um, the great thing about lettuce, of course, is it comes in many different varieties and specifically like many colors and textures. So it's a really nice way to add interest to your garden, but also make your salads a little bit more interesting. And they're all basically the same to grow in terms of what you need to do. Um, again, as I said before, you can harvest them in a month for baby lettuces. You can just take the whole head off or you can wait sort of 50, 50 days or so, um, 50 to 60, let's say, for, for full heads of lettuce. 
some varieties, of course, like cos, you can just pick off the biggest leaves and they'll just keep growing um, and you can make them last a long time. That's a bit about that. Spinach. So spinach is uh, scientifically named uh, Spinaceae oleraceae. I've been practicing my botanical names. Uh, you can, of course, like anything, sow them, um, you know, sow them densely and use them as microgreens. Um, you can plant them really close together if all you want is is baby spinach, like the kind you get in the bag. Um, just plant them, you know, five, not maybe not five, but ten centimeters apart. Uh, and you'll have that. Or you can let them go full size, which is, I mean, about 30 days, 35 days, and get the whole rosette. Um, spinach, of course, like lettuce, it can dry out very easily. So um, make sure that you really keep the moisture up. Um, there's a reason they have such beautiful lush leaves. They hold a lot of water. Um, intermittent watering um, or like a lack of mulch and they'll look very stressed and ugly. So there's a bit of a tip there for you. Now, the much maligned and loved, depending on who you are, kale. So kale belongs to the Brassica oleraceae species. So Brassica, uh, Brassica, kale is of course a Brassica. It is essentially, it's just like broccoli or cauliflower or, um, you know, uh, what's it called? Brussels sprouts. Um, it's obviously just the form that has been bred to to just be leaves. Um, you can harvest the baby greens very early, twenty days. Mature leaves might take up to two months. Really versatile, of course, in the garden. You can make chips. You can use them in soups. If you enjoy the sort of bitter flavor like I do, you can just eat them raw. Um, I'm a bit weird like that. Lots of really cool varieties in the kale family. So we have Lacinato, Purple Moon, Tuscan Baby Leaf, um, Black Russian, the really curly ones. We have the more flat-leaved ones. Um, this is a great one for making your garden look really interesting in terms of texture and shape and form. Cool thing about kale is you can perennialize them. So you can essentially make them last for a very long time, multiple seasons, by turning them into a kale tree. So you, might, you may have seen a kale tree in the past. It's essentially where you, you pick off the biggest leaves of the kale and you kind of constantly force it to grow taller and taller. Um, it has this habit of creating a thick stem um, that just gets longer and longer, even up to, you know, I've seen, I've seen two metre tall kale trees. Big, thick stem, maybe about, five centimeter diameter at the bottom or two meters tall and then like a little puff of uh of kale leaves at the top so it's a really cool one if you want to try that and um i guess never run out of kale something to look into as well so um that's a bit about kale now another one that's some people love some people hate is is chard swiss chard so uh swiss chard is is actually um a subspecies, uh, the cycla subspecies of Beta vulgaris. And you might remember Beta vulgaris uh, from our our show on uh, on beetroot, where that's what beetroot is. So it's actually a type of beet, um, very recognizable by often its very colorful stems. There's things like rainbow chard that you might be aware of and the sort of wavy dark green leaves. Um, really cool one if you want a bit of 
interesting color in your greens that you might not get in other species. Harvest after a couple of months as well. And it's another one that can kind of just keep going and going and going. I've seen some that have bent over and kind of crawled along the ground and are still shooting up leaves. Another great perennial sort of uh, can be perennialized uh, green. Mustard greens. So this is part of the brassica family as well. This is the brassica juncea family or juncea family or brassica juncea species. Uh, this comes in a lot of different colors, of course, but um, some common ones are sort of large purple tinged leaves with a sort of spicy mustard flavor, obviously. Um, again, this is a great one for microgreens because they have that pungent flavor even when they're very little. Also known as gai choy um, in, in some um, Asian countries. Uh, and there's some really interesting varieties. So you have uh, red giant, which is this massive species, very stunning, um, sort of shiny dark purple with a green stem. These can get pretty big. Uh, Downs Community Farm has a lot of mustard greens around. They can be really prolific. And it is worth noting that uh, unless you want a lot of mustard greens, definitely don't let these ones bolt because they will self-seed very readily and you will never be able to get rid of them all. So <laughs> that might be something you want. It might not be, but just, uh, just letting you know. And finally, of course, I, I, I can't finish up this section without talking about one of my personal favorite greens. Um, it is the native that we're talking about uh, in, in this section, warrigal greens, um, also known as New Zealand spinach because it is native to both countries. And uh, one of my favorite botanical names, uh, Tetragonia tetragonioides, I think, something like that. Um, so you'll you'll see this one all over the place now uh, when you if you look it up, but it's really good for our area because it is well-suited to um, a range of conditions. It's perfectly happy in, in hot, exposed conditions. It doesn't mind very sandy or even salty soils. It is a coastal crop. It's sort of semi-succulent, um, sort of triangular kind of pointy leaves tastes very much like spinach. So it's a great option if you eat a lot of spinach, um, particularly cooked spinach, um, because it is prolific. It is so easy to grow. It, it kind of just does its thing to the point where it, it will take over a garden bed. If you let it, it very readily self seeds and it just pops up year and year again. Um, it's, wildly prolific long stems huge leaves definitely give it a go it it is one where it is worth mentioning that you do really need to blanch the leaves um, or cook them in some way before eating because it is quite high in oxalic acid and other oxalates so like many of our edible weeds it is uh you can't really eat uh, a lot of it or any of it really uh, with, without cooking out some of that some of that um, oxalic acid. And the good news is it, is it is sort of prostrate, right? It kind of crawls along the ground. So you can grow it in a sort of rockery way. You can grow it down a fence. Um, it'll sort of droop down. And much like a nasturtium, it's uh, a really beautiful way 
to soften the edges of garden beds and, um, yeah, add a bit of that flowy interest into the garden. So, yeah, I just talked for a long time. So that's, uh, that's, that's the sum total of everything I want to say about growing your own greens. Um, I would always urge people to get some interesting species and try and save a couple. Um, yeah, let a few of them go to seed, save the seed, uh, or let it spread around the garden. You will not be disappointed uh, and you'll never have to buy lettuce again uh, or any of these grains. So again, oh, one last little point. Uh, Brendan added here to the show notes, which is definitely worth mentioning. Uh, you can get your greens in lots of other ways. I've just mentioned some of them. Uh, there's so many others. There's rocket. There's all kinds of things. Uh, but of course... We talked about chard being essentially a type of beet. Uh, beetroot leaves in general from normal beetroot are great as well. You can definitely eat them. Lots of species have edible leaves. Um, of course, cauliflower, broccoli, all the other brassicas, those leaves that they grow are essentially kale and they taste very similar. So no need to, um, to be too crazy with the greens. You probably already have a few in your garden. Yeah, so thank you. If you're still sticking around, sorry I just blabbed on at you for oh, quite a while. <laughs> I'll go to another song uh, before I talk a little bit about uh, gardening tools. So this one is by the ever-wonderful Courtney Barnett and it is Avant Gardener. Hi, I'm Disco D from London, England, and whenever I'm in Australia, and in fact, even when I'm not online, I'll listen to Radio Caram. Welcome back to The Gardening Show on Radio Caram. I'm your host, Henry, today, uh, and once again, that was Avant Gardener by Courtney Barnett over from Perth, I believe. Anyway, uh, let's go into our next section. Uh, if you're joining us, thank you again, uh, or welcome, I should say. And a quick reminder, if you have any burning gardening questions, um, I can answer them at the end of the show uh, on 0493-213-831. Shoot us a text. Um, yeah, questions. Uh, tell me how I'm going. Just keep me company. Up to you. Um, but thank you so much those that are getting in touch on our shows we love to hear from you and uh, hopefully help you out so can't talk gardening without talking about tools so this is one where it can be a bit overwhelming if you're just getting into into gardening or you are looking to really i guess upgrade some of your tools or buy a few more bits and bobs um, to help you out but the good news is it can really simplify uh, what you're doing so when you go to your hardware store and you walk into the garden tool aisle um, it can be a bit overwhelming um, you, you go to buy a rake there's 17 different kinds of rake every length every material different size handles the tines are different spacings what do I do I'm here to give you a quick little master class on what you need what you probably don't need and um a few interesting ones that you might want to consider um, outside of the, the norm, I guess. So let's start with, I guess, an essential gardening tools list. So first of all, you're going to need something to dig. So, you know, we're talking, uh, we'll start with the small ones and then we'll go to the bigger ones. So on the small side, 
uh, a hand trowel of some kind um, or, a, or a small transplanting spade or my personal favourite, the hori hori, which is essentially looks like a hunting knife <laughs> um, but it's, it's essentially a knife-shaped spade that has um, yeah, a sharp edge on one side, a sort of serrated edge on the other and in many cases um, has uh, sort of indented into the metal um, like a, a rule or a scale um, of, of depths essentially. So you can sort of be really precise with, I don't know, how, how deep you're putting your bulbs in, let's say. Um, so lots of different options there, but you do need to pick one. I personally use the Hori Hori more than anything else, uh, but good to have one on hand. And as with all of these, I, I will preface this by saying buy quality. So ideally something made of steel um, or, you know, I guess titanium or something if you can afford it, um, full metal or wooden handles over plastic. And then if you take care of them, they can honestly last you a lifetime. So it's always worth saving up a bit more. But what do we use these little hand trowels for? So, of course, planting small plants and flowers. Um, you can do this with your hands, of course, but, you know, it's always nice, especially if your your soil is a little bit compacted um, or just a bit tricky to dig by hand. Good to have one on hand. Don't worry about having multiple types. Um, not needed. Just pick one, stick to it. You know, if it comes up in conversation with a gardener, defend it honorably. <laughs> uh, they're all good. Just it's whatever works best for you. The next one, and this is certainly my most used tool, uh, is is secateurs um, or, you know, pruners, whatever you want to call them, secchies, um, and possibly harvesting snips, which are like the really small secateurs, almost look like scissors. You don't necessarily need those but you do need a good pair of secchies. Um, obviously used for things like, um, you know, pruning, for you know, trimming things back, for shaping bushes, fruit trees, uh, for cutting flowers, um, either deadheading spent flowers or, or harvesting, um, you know, cut flowers. Um, really anything I would say that is good for cutting anything that is thinner than a finger, really. Anything bigger than a finger, we're going to have to go up in scale to something like loppers, which are basically secateurs with long handles, um, all the way up to you know really large, monstrous-looking ones. But typically, secateurs and loppers, if you have lots of trees or fruit trees, is going to be more than enough. This is one where you may, um, due to preference or certainly um, you know your your ability. Um, might want to buy uh, sort of uh, electric um, secateurs, which they do they do have now. Um, I don't have a lot of experience with those, but if that's what you need uh, or that's what you prefer, no drama. Just keep them sharp and maintained, and that's the important thing here with these. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Get a good pair. Uh, spend the money if you can. Um, this is one where a good pair of secateurs, um, so I, don't, I hate to give brands, but everyone knows Falco in the gardening world. Falco 2s are like the standard template for pretty much all secateurs. They're quite dear. They might be, I think, $60, but if they take care of them, they should last you a lifetime and all the little bits on them are replaceable if you ever need to. So... 
have a look, see what works for you. They've got more ergonomic ones, less ergonomic ones. No dramas. Gloves. So eh, less of a tool, more of a PPE, personal protective equipment, but um, always good to have a set of uh, gardening gloves. Um, I like putting my hands in the dirt, but there are times where, you know, I'm either not so much anymore handling chemicals, but, you know, um, I might be uh, yeah, dealing with something that's a bit smelly, um, a badly managed compost or, you know, things that have thorns, of course, or, you know, stinging nettles, anything like that. It's good to have a good pair of gloves. Again, pick one that's comfortable for you, well-fitting, has a bit of protection on the palm side, um, but something that's nice and flexible as well. You don't need big leather riggers gloves. Um, They're going to be more annoying than you're willing to put up with when you're in the garden, and then you're likely to not use them. So something, yeah, something nice, flexible, with a little bit of protection uh, is, is always good. Now, rakes. <laughs> so I, I mentioned before, you know, there's so many kinds of rakes. Um, but in my experience, you probably only need two. Um, but what do we use rakes for? Um, not just raking leaves, of course, um, or raking up grass clippings and things, um, but also really useful for cultivating soil, for scratching out weeds, um, for leveling soil in a new bed. Lots of reasons why you might want something that's got a nice sort of long straight surface um, with a little bit of purchase to, to grab the soil. The two I'd recommend, so uh, a wide plastic, I'll say the standard is plastic, but they do make similar aluminium ones. Really, I just call it a soft rake. Um, so that's good for leaves. You can sort of drag it across grass and not break up the grass if you are raking leaves. Um, and just good for like cleaning paths, so many things, fight leveling out the final top of your soil to make it look really nice. And then the other one that you need, I think, is a sturdy sort of a steel rake, sort of the the thicker, heavier duty, um, sort of the, the, the tines, the teeth, the fingers, whatever you want to call them, sort of point straight down from the from the handle. That's really good for just breaking up things for moving around more difficult soil and you can even to an extent till a little bit with it as well. So two, two, <laughs> if you had to get just one, go with what works for you in your area or in your garden. What do you actually need to rake? And just go with that. Hose. So hose a weird one because I don't, I guess I have a hoe, but I never use it. <laughs> so uh, lots of different hoes come in so many form factors. It's ridiculous. You've got your regular old school looking, you know, flat panel thing of metal that goes straight down. You have stirrup hoes that look like a horse stirrup um, that kind of swing a little bit, which you can kind of drag out weeds with. Um, you have pointy ones, you have flat ones, round ones, you know, you, you name it, there's a there's a hoe that shape. I don't really think they're necessary in smaller gardens um, and certainly gardens that are, you know, all kind of raised beds. Um, there's just not a lot of use for it. Um, what are they good for? I mean, they're good for weeding and cultivating, but typically we're talking about when you're gardening in the ground and when you're gardening a larger area. 
one exception to this is um, there are, I'm not I think it's a Japanese style hoe. There's a whole bunch of names for it, but it's one that I do use. Um, and it's, how would I describe it? It's sort of a pointy teardrop kind of a shape. And it's sort of bent to a side, almost looks like a little snow plow on the end of a handle. And it's short, so it's, you know, as long as a gardening trowel. And it's really useful for kind of getting into weeds. Um, you can make furrows with it. You can you can kind of dig with it as well. It might be something worth looking into. Um, but yeah, hose, not super necessary. It is necessary though if you have the garden to support that sort of work. So more, more research needed on your part, listener. Now, we talked about the small diggers. Let's talk about the big diggers. So spades and shovels. So um, spades and shovels are, of course, for both, um, you know, moving things around uh, and digging holes um, in, you know, of, of various sizes and trenches and things. Now, as I'm sure most people listening are aware, you've got the full-size long-handled ones and then you have the shorter ones that have the kind of T-shaped handle at the top. You know... This is, again, a personal preference in terms of form factor. I typically prefer the full long-handled version um, that I can really hold with both hands and step into, um, but that might not be necessary for your garden. Um, up to you as well. But, you know, do you need a spade and a shovel? No. I know some people will really have a go at me for that. You don't. For typical, normal, everyday backyard gardening, just pick one that works for you, that um, has enough, I guess, digging space area that uh, you'll be able to manage and just stick with it. And that's it. Just buy one. <laughs> Trying to keep this as cheap as possible. Uh, similarly, in terms of long and short handled tools, is forks, garden forks. So these range from the tiny little um, forks that sort of maybe sometimes come in a kit with a trowel all the way up to, um, you know, more bespoke forks. So you have like compost forks, which have very long, thin tines. Um, you have your very standard, shorter handled uh, garden fork, which has the four tines at the bottom. And one of them always ends up getting bent somehow, always. And you have uh, your more sort of farm style forks. So like a broad fork, which is a huge fork that you kind of stand on in between two handles, full weight down into it, and you can kind of use to loosen soil. Again, this is entirely up to you. What is your use case? Uh, is your soil compacted? You are probably almost certainly gonna need a fork to make your life easier. If you only have raised garden beds, even a smaller fork is, is probably not going to be the best way to do it for you. If you have lots of in-ground um, large beds, definitely get a fork. Think about your safety. Think about your back. <laughs> uh, I always think about mine and, and choose the most appropriate tool for you ergonomically. And um, again, the best quality you can afford because forks somehow always get bent and break. And finally, a watering can or a hose. 
Uh, I would say both. Um, of course, watering an entire full-size garden with a watering can is very annoying. So um, if you have anything more than a single raised garden bed, get a hose. <laughs> um, quality comes with price, unfortunately, when it comes to hoses. The cheapest hoses almost always spring a leak. Um, they get kinked, they bend, they crack in the sun. So do a bit of research, read some reviews and and do end on do sort of go with the high end of that because again, as we know, watering and water is is one of the most essential parts of the garden. It's not worth cheaping out on. But even if your garden is a whole acre, I still recommend getting a watering can because there are times where you need to water plants inside or you want to very specifically apply a liquid fertilizer of some kind. Um, it's always nice to have, uh, you know, that sort of, they say nine liter, but it's, it's really like a 10 liter watering can. A standard size watering can is very easy in terms of uh, being able to dilute things effectively. Um, and yeah, they're pretty cheap. You don't have to go crazy with a watering can. I know they make really bespoke, long-handled, beautiful metal watering cans. If you can afford it, of course, go for it. Um, and always choose metal over plastic. But if, if all you can really afford in that space is just a standard plastic watering can, that's fine. Just keep it in the shade, please. Uh, they crack in the sun. And it, once a watering can has a crack, it's over. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, both, both. And when we talk about hoses, we do have to talk sidebar on hose fittings. So all the little bits and bobs that connect your hose to your tap and your whatever your chosen watering pistol or wand or, you know, hose tip is, the thing that connects that to the hose. Um, almost always when you buy, it's going to be plastic, of course, Um I would urge everybody, as soon as you practically can and you can afford to do so, replace all of your hose fittings, every single stage, anywhere where there's a plastic fitting, replace it with metal, um, brass. They're a bit more expensive, but they last pretty much forever. And then they can be cleaned um, with a bit of vinegar if they do get clogged. If you've got really hard water in your area, um, and it can get that kind of scale on it, well, you can clean them off really easily. But ever since I switched to brass, I've never popped a leak. Um, you know, do it. That's what the horticultural industry does for a reason. Um, go with what the professionals use. So there's a bit about the basic tools that you need. What don't you need? You don't need those rakes that are claws or gloves. <laughs> I just don't... I can't see a time where I'll be on my on my hands and knees raking up leaves um, when I could just use a regular rake. So I just don't think those are really necessary. People say they're really good for picking up leaves. Just get a bag or a bin, put it on its side and just use a regular rake and just, it's a waste of money. I wouldn't use those. Any of the really uh, fancy sort of aeration tools that you might see, Again, if you have a lot of lawn um, and you're really particular about making it look like a golf course, cool. Go the fancy aeration tools or the aeration shoes, the things that you can strap to the bottom of your shoes with the sort of nails sticking out. But do you need those in your garden? No, 
almost certainly no. What else? Oh, there's so many. I wish I had I'd written a list. But really, if you look at it and you think, oh, what could I use that for? Don't get it. <laughs> Just don't. It'll become a very expensive hobby. And I say this as a hypocrite who owns every tool under the sun. So <laughs> I will just say that. Now, basic tool maintenance. So it's no use buying all these great tools and especially spending money on good quality tools if we're not taking care of them. Particularly when it comes to really good quality steel tools, steel rusts. So it's important that we regularly clean them and that we don't let them sit wet after we've used them. So regularly clean off the dirt and any sap off of your tools. This also applies to blades as well. Um, so that would be secateurs and even shears and things, which I didn't mention before. Um, best way to clean off sap is to just use um, like something like an isopropyl alcohol in a little spray bottle or a little bit of uh, methylated spirits. Um, it's the only time I'd encourage anyone to buy that sort of stuff. Um, and just keep it on you. As you're pruning, um, just make sure between each plant that you give everything a little spray with um, with alcohol or something. Keep them clean and get that sap off of them, of course. That also helps to stop disease if there is disease in a plant from transferring from one plant to another, which is, of course, very important. And this also applies for things like shovels and stuff. I know it's very annoying to clean off your shovel um, and typically they're very sturdy and thick steel and they will last a long time even if they get rusty but I always say spend a little bit of extra time just washing them off with the hose just getting all the dirt off and leaving them somewhere where they'll dry um, it, it will it will pay dividends for you 20 years down the line <laughs> now if we have tools that are a bit more complicated to maintain so we'll talk against secateurs uh, there will be times where and I would always say maybe depending on your use case once or twice a year it's always good to take them apart and give them a good proper clean and get into all the nooks and crannies um, and essentially service them so a little tip is take photos as you go especially the first time so that you can remember where all the little bits and pieces of the secateurs or whatever go and you can part of me you can put them back together again easily that's cleaning now sharpening so anything that has a an edge that needs to be kept sharp um, you should be sharpening pretty much every time you use them so we're talking things like secateurs we're talking um, you know we're talking shears um, perhaps even you your use case might be that you need a hatchet well same thing sharpen it pretty much before you start working, it'll make your gardening a lot more enjoyable and uh, it will be better for your plant's health, not having the stems crushed. So this is a whole topic in itself. Um, and if you're into woodworking like I am, it's, it's a massive topic um, with a lot of very strong opinions on how to and how not to sharpen. To what point do you have to sharpen things? When do you stop? What is too sharp? What is not sharp enough? All I will say is for things like secateurs, a simple handheld sharpening tool, I will make a recommendation here um, of a product. Um, I don't like to do that, but the Istor sharpener, so I-S-T-O-R, 
Swiss Istor sharpener or something similar to a Swiss Istor sharpener is is a great tool. Uh, they're small, they're very simple to use. It's essentially a handle with a hardened piece of tungsten on the end. And it's literally as easy as just running that along the edge of your tool two or three times with a bit of force, but not too much. And it's super sharp. It's, it's wild how well they work. That particular one costs about 60 bucks. It is used in the forestry industry a lot uh, and it is worth getting. Um, if you're really serious about pruning and grafting and things like that, uh, invest in, in some Swiss steel, let's put it that way. And finally, uh, oiling parts. So for things that have hinges or anything that moves really, um, again, we'll go secateurs. <laughs> it's always important, um, especially during your deep cleans, but even just every couple of weeks to just apply a little bit of oil um, or lubricant to the moving parts, um, which will help to prevent rust, um, but will also keep them moving nice and freely um, so that you're not having to really force something and by doing so, uh, risk getting injured. So lots of great lubricants that you can use. Everyone knows about WD-40. Um, the standard that I use is just the three-in-one oil, which is available everywhere in little bottles. But really any sort of multi-purpose machine lubricant, um, which you can find at any hardware store, uh, will do. And a little goes a long way, just a drop. Um, don't completely spray everything and cover it. You don't have to do that. It works its way in and it only needs a very micron thick coating to work. So there you go. Keep them oiled, keep them sharpened, keep them clean. That's my main thing. Uh, if you do that for your tools, they will last a lot longer and you won't have to be buying cheap, nasty secateurs every year because I've been that person. I have been that person in the past. And finally, just a few little tips um, for home gardeners um, in terms of tool storage, tool size, ergonomics and things. So tool storage. Now, if you can't store them indoors, um, you know, if you don't have a garage or, you know, not willing to keep your gardening tools inside, it is definitely worth investing in um, some sort of a weather-resistant tool shed, even just one of those small tin ones or a toolbox even, something that is going to keep them out of the weather. If you do have an indoor place that you can keep them, one little trick um, that I learned from a blacksmith <laughs> is uh, to keep an, a, an oily sand bucket. That's what he would call it. An oily sand bucket. Essentially get a standard bucket, fill it with some good quality sand, like a builder's sand or a playground sand, and then kind of put a decent amount, um, you know, get the, the top fully moist um, and most of the soil pretty pretty moist with uh, with an oil of some kind, um, ideally a natural oil and one that doesn't go rancid. So um, people have used things like mineral oil, but of course that, uh, that comes from uh, fossil fuels. Um, so it could be something like a, like a vegetable oil or something like that. And essentially um, with your, your forks and your spades and your trowels is you just shove the metal part of it 
into that sand when you're done with it. So way to store them, it makes sure that, that those blades are not only not exposed to water, but are fully covered in oil and sand. It gives them a bit of a clean and it just keeps them from rusting. And that's why blacksmiths use them, of course. So oily sand bucket, cheap hack there for you. Now, last little bit there, regular checkups. So of course we want to inspect our tools regularly and we want to make sure that um, if a handle or wooden handle is starting to crack or you know there's a piece of metal that is starting to go get bent that we repair them um, so find someone locally that maybe does a repair course or take it to a local, local tool library or get in touch with a friend who, who has a few tools and just deal with the problem then and there instead of letting it get worse and worse because um, often those things can be repaired but once it gets to a certain point you need to buy so definitely something there um, and bit of safety stuff so tools of course can be dangerous all tools are dangerous so um, make sure that you know how to use them you know especially when we're doing things like digging um, there is a correct way to dig and an incorrect way to dig uh, so look it up you know there's plenty of content online um, on how to how to dig a hole safely how to uh, how to use loppers safely um, both in terms of stopping things from falling on you but also um, not doing damage to your muscles and your joints so really important that we we do that properly and hand in hand with that goes ergonomics so picking tools that work ergonomically for you given sort of your ability level um, you know whatever that might be there's, there's usually a choice that that will fit so just spend a bit of time researching that and keep tools stored safely as well. I'll add to that actually. One last point. Um, if you have young people around um, or, you know, little little kids or whatever, um, just making sure that they don't have access to your axe or whatever. I mean, that goes without saying, but having a think about that when you're thinking about your tool storage as well because, sure, um, a garden fork is not a circular saw, but it can be incredibly dangerous as well. So having that same care when it comes to storing garden tools um, is, is always a good thing. And let's finish it off, the show. Finish off the show, finish off the section with a little bit about sustainability, of course, when it comes to tools. So reuse and recycle. Now we're going back into permaculture, aren't we? Um, ideally, repurpose old tools or, you know, of course, recycle them if you don't need them anymore. Um, but repurposing old tools is always a good idea. Old steel tools with wood handles are usually salvageable, can be repaired, can be made to look like new um, or new with a bit of character and will last you a long time. So even just checking out, you know, your local um, you know, vintage warehouse or, you know, your op shop or your tip shop, you probably find uh, what you're looking for there and it might just need a bit of TLC. Timber handles, easily replaced. Plastic handles, less so. So, um, you know, I'm guilty. I've owned shovels that have a plastic handle before. Um, but once they kind of crack, there's not much you can do. They don't really 
sell extra plastic cans. They didn't back in my day. Um, timber's so much easier. It lasts a lot longer. It's a bit kinder on your hands. It's much kinder on the planet. And replacing a timber handle is actually really easy. So something you can learn in a weekend and you can carry with you for the rest of your life. I will say as well, please avoid gimmicky tools and, uh, you know, tools that are just seem like they're the latest fad um, because almost certainly they're not going to be as useful as something that already exists and is fit for purpose. Uh, a tool that claims to do everything rarely does any of those things well. And that's very true for life as well, isn't it? Well, I'll leave it with that. <laughs> uh, and finally, we've only talked really about hand tools here. Um, but of course, there's a whole plethora of electric uh, or of, of powered tools, I will say. Um, so your lawn mowers and your snippers and um, whipper snippers, brush cutters, uh, chainsaws, all that sort of stuff. Um, of course, your use case might require that you own one or several of those. I would always say, oh, I will say back in the day, if you needed, if you really wanted something with good power that would last the test of time, you did have to go the petrol route, but that's not true anymore. Um, battery tools, battery power tools have become almost as good um, in a professional setting and certainly as good in a home setting. Um, so go with that option if you can. Um, you know, of course, we can go down a big rabbit hole of, well, you need electricity to charge those batteries and electricity is produced by fossil fuel. Okay, yeah, we can go down that route, but you can get you can get pretty off grid with it once you've made that initial purchase. Um, you know there are solar charges that you can buy, all manner of things um, to ensure that if you have to go that mechanical route, that you are doing so in I guess the least destructive way um, for the environment in the long term, particularly. So yeah, give those ones a go if you need. They are really good now. Um, and me working in a commercial horticultural setting. We are moving fully to the electric um, battery-powered tools because they work. And that's that. I could talk another four hours about tools, uh, but I will spare you all. <laughs> I'll spare you all for that. Um, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, that is the show. So thank you so much for joining me today. Um, it's been It's been fun but nowhere near as fun as it is when I have my wonderful co-host Brendan sitting across from me to, uh, to sort of go back and forth with. Um, but he will be back on the next show in a couple of weeks. So we look forward to, uh, yeah, to, to seeing you all or hearing you all or speaking with you all then. Um, a little reminder, of course, I mentioned at the start of the show that Downs Community Farm has an event this Saturday from 2 to 3 p.m., um, which is our, our eco-mural event, the eco-mural uh, that is about to be completed, nearly completed, might be completed, it's nearly there, um, uh, by the amazing art street artist Jimmy Deviate. Uh, it's a beautiful wetland scene um, of some native wetland birds from the Karam Karam Swamp area, also known as the Seaford Wetlands. So come on down from 2 to 3. It's a free event. There'll be a Q&A, guest speakers, um, and we'd love to see you there and, and support local community and local street art. 
As always, thanks for listening. Have fun in your gardens and happy planting. Thank you.